1: Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today, including a visit with Bob Levy. He's the chairman emeritus of the Cato Institute. We'll be talking about the nature and limits of of Federalism, will also visit with Professor Andrew Joppa, author of Josephus of Oz. It is December the 27th and on this day in 1944, as World War II dragged on, President Franklin D. Roosevelt ordered his Secretary of War to seize properties belonging to Montgomery Ward Company because the company refused to comply with a labor agreement. In an effort to avert strikes in critical war support industries, Roosevelt created a National War Labor Board In 1942, the Board negotiated settlements between management and workers to avoid shutdowns in production that might cripple the war effort. During the war, the well-known retailer and manufacturer Montgomery Ward had supplied the Allies with everything from tractors to auto parts to workmen's clothing, items deemed important and essential to the war effort as bullets as ships. However, Montgomery Ward Chairman uh, Sewell Avery refused to comply with the terms of the different uh, collective bargaining agreements with the United Retail, Wholesale, and Department Store Unions, uh, hammered out between 1943 and 44. In uh, ni- April 1944, after Sewell refused to uh, a second board order, Roosevelt called out the National Guard to seize the company's main plan in Chicago. Sewell himself had to be carried out of his office by the National Guard troops. Uh, By December of that year, Roosevelt was fed up with Sewell's obstinacy and disrespect for government authority. Can you believe that? The uber-capitalist Sewell's favorite insult was to call somebody a New Dealer, a direct reference to Roosevelt's Depression-Era policies. On December 27th, Roosevelt ordered the Secretary of War to seize Montgomery Ward's plants and facilities in New York, Michigan, California, Illinois, Chicago, and Oregon, In an announcement that day, Roosevelt emphasized that the government would not tolerate any interference with war production in this critical hour. He issued a stern warning to labor unions and industry management alike. Strikes in wartime cannot be condoned, whether they are strikes by workers against their employers or strikes by employers against the government. Sewell took the fight to federal court, but lost. Uh, For much of the 20th century, Montgomery Gord, founded in 1872, reigned as one of the companies, or country's largest department stores and mail-order retail chains. However, heavy competition from Walmart, Target, and similar discount stores forced the company to close all of its stores in 2000, uh, although it retains their catalog and internet presence. Montgomery Ward. Boy, a real powerhouse back in the day. And uh, <clears throat> I realize it's wartime, but can you imagine uh, closing down and uh, seizing stores because he's an cooperating with the government. Hmm. I think that's uh, perhaps a bridge too far. Well, all three major markets were up yesterday as uh, the S&P 500 neared an all-time high. Retail sales increased 3.1 percent from November to December 24th compared to the same period last year. So uh, some good news on that front. By the way, Uh, Where's the recession? The the recession was supposed to be coming. It looks like it is going to be a soft landing, but we'll find out as the uh, days and months uh, go on here in 2024. Egypt, Qatar, and uh, the United States have presented a proposal to end the conflict between Israel and Hamas. The plan, however, did not receive any enthusiastic response from either side, but both stopped short of outright rejection. The proposal calls for a phased release of hostages and the establishment of a new Palestinian government made up of experts, whatever that experts are, to administer the Gaza Strip and occupied West Bank. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu did not reject the proposal outright, but he stated his determination to continue Israel's offensive against Hamas. Since the conflict began, Netanyahu has stated that his goal is to crush Hamas and aim that the proposed plan does not adequately address. Israel also has demanded continued military control over Gaza after the war. The Egyptians' planned phased release of hostages directly addresses one of Israel's key commands and demands. Over 100 Israelis were taken hostage on October 7th in a Hamas attack in southern Israel. These hostages remain in captivity in Gaza, and Netanyahu faces domestic pressure to bring them home. And while the proposal does not address Israel's demand for continued military control, it offers the possibility of further diplomacy towards ending the conflict. The proposal's success hinges on both Israel and Hamas accepting the proposed government of experts. Whatever that is to administer the Gaza Strip and the Occupied West Bank. The administration is intended to bring stability to the region, but the success of this government will depend on the cooperation of the parties involved. Further discussion, uh, discussions are needed to address Israel's demands and Hamas's desire to maintain control over Gaza. The announcement of this proposal represents a new opportunity for peace and could signal a turning point in the longstanding Israel-Hamas conflict." And separately, an Israeli airstrike yesterday killed uh, a high-ranking official in Iran's Revolutionary Guard responsible for coordinating the military alliance between Iran and Syria. So that was a success. But uh, Israel Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu you spoke out. He wrote an op-ed, an uh, opinion piece in, I believe it was the Wall Street Journal, uh, Journal. And here are the things, the prerequisites for peace in the region following months of war with Hamas the destruction of Hamas, the demilitarization of Gaza, and the de radicalization of the Palestinian society. Uh, he, and here's a quote First, Hamas, a key Iranian proxy, must be destroyed. The U.S., U.K., France, Germany, and many other countries support Israel's intent to demolish uh, the terror group, he wrote. Second, Gaza must be demilitarized. Israel must ensure that the territory is never again used as a base to attack it, he said. According to Netanyahu, they will involve creating a temporary security zone on Gaza's perimeter and a border inspection system to prevent weapons smuggling. He also claimed that expecting the Palestinian Authority to demilitarize Gaza is a pipe dream. Third, Gaza must have to be uh, de-radicalized. The Prime Minister Canadian Schools must teach children to cherish life rather than death, and imams must cease to preach th- uh, for the murder of Jews. Palestinian civil society uh, needs to be transformed so that people support fighting terrorism rather than funding it. Netanyahu wrote this once that these three goals are achieved, Gaza can be rebuilt, and the prospects of a border peace in the Middle East will become a reality. It's pretty clear, uh, and uh, it seems like this proposal by the U.K., United States, and Egypt goes uh, is a long way away from what his demands are. But I, don't, I think he's going to stand firm on uh, demanding <clears throat> these three things. Well, early withdrawal from a 401k retirement funds have cost Americans a staggering $6.12 billion in penalties this year, according to recent findings from a capitalized survey. Uh, The same report also highlights the number of 401k participants accessing their retirement funds early has increased by 27% since the beginning of the year. Workers under the age of 59 and a half who withdraw early are subject to an income tax and potentially a 10% early withdrawal fee, highlighting the financial cost of early retirement withdrawals. Uh, Job changes are the most common reason why workers withdraw the funds from retirement plans. A study conducted in 2023 shows that 41% of 401k account holders withdrew at least some funds from their plans while changing jobs rather than completing a rollover to an IRA or another 401k plan. Regrettably, the same survey indicated that most workers who cashed out and withdrew their 401k balance entirely, compounding the impact of early withdrawals on their long-term financial goals. So people, for some reason, are saying, you know what, I'll just take the money right now. I could use, use the money. And you can understand that under the circumstances and the pressure of inflation. But uh, for, for the long term, it's certainly not uh, planning on taking care of the person you're going to be in 20 or 30 years. Economists have lab- uh, labeled early withdrawals from a 401k as leakage. The capitalized survey underscores the damaged nature of this issue, highlighting that taking money out early without a plan to reinvest it can hurt workers' retirement savings in the long run. In effect, leakage is one of the overreaching reasons many people do not save enough for retirement. So just another exacerbated uh, issue uh, when it comes to this economy or Bidenomics. Well, here's some good news. Higher federal income tax brackets and standard deductions will take effect at the beginning of January, potentially giving Americans a chance to increase their take-home pay in 2024 and shield more of their income from the IRS. The IRS announced the higher limits for the federal income tax bracket and standard deductions in November. The increase is intended to avoid a phenomenon known as bracket creep. Which happens when taxpayers are pushed into higher income brackets, even though the purchasing power is essentially unchanged due to the steeper prices for most goods. The IRS makes such adjustments annually, but in times of high inflation, the increases are more significant and impactful for taxpayers. This year, the tax brackets are shifting higher by about 5.4%. That's significant. This higher threshold. Uh, where tax rates could take effect, could mean savings for millions of Americans across all income tax brackets, And that a standard deduction is going to be increased by 5.4% too. So good news for Americans in difficult times during Biden inflation. Well, the Internal Revenue Service has launched a new program for taxpayers who want to pay back money they received after filing certain pandemic-era tax credit claims in error and to encourage participation Get this, the IRS is letting them keep 20% of the funds. So if you if you uh, self-proclaim and say that uh, I took the money by mistake or in error or because I was greedy and whatever, they say, well, that's okay. Go ahead and keep 20% of it and just send the other 80% back to the IRS. Shocking. Well, a third, the third request for Secret Service protection for the presidential campaign of Robert F. Kennedy Jr. was turned down. Can you believe that? Kennedy said it's another example of weaponization of government against Biden's political opponents. He has a good point. Why would Joe Biden's Department of Homeland Security deny RFK Jr. protection, especially given his political family history? In fact, protection was provided in elections after the assassination of uh, RFK uh, and uh, also uh, uh, Bobby Kennedy as well, and uh, JFK, I should say. Department of Homeland Security uh, Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas said in a denial letter, I've consulted with an advisory committee composed of the Speaker of the House, Speaker, uh, House Minority Leader, the Senate Majority Leader, the Senate Minority Leader, and the Senate Sergeant-at-Arms-Per-Deseret News. Based on the facts and the recommendation of the advisory committee, I have determined that Secret Service protection for Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is not warranted at this time. Can you believe that? That is just, again, weaponization that's political, all political in my mind. So uh, uh, Joe Biden has run around with all the protection he needs. In fact, uh, Fauci has protection because of uh, threats to uh, Fauci. So he has uh, paid protection, and he's retired, if you could believe that. No protection for uh, RFK Jr. Absurd. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning Naples, longest established air conditioning company. I hope you visit the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Bob Levy, Chairman Emeritus of the Cato Institute, that and more, right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. at and stop by Lulubees Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. And now serving dinner 4 to 8 p.m. Wednesdays through Saturdays a terrific menu. Lulubees Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads Stop by Lulubees Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. 4541.
0: Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Andrew Joppa. Right now, we have with us Bob Levy. He is the Chairman Emeritus of the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us.
3: Always a pleasure. Good to be with you, and Happy New Year coming up.
1: A happy New Year to you as well, Bob. So uh, tell us about the Cato Institute.
3: We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in D.C. and devoted to defending free markets, private property, securing individual liberty, and Limited Government, C-A-T-O dot O-R-G on the web.
1: Thank you, Bob. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we, st- we were talking about judicial ethics, and I'd like to just g- just ask a-, ask a couple of questions before we move into federalism. Uh, what about the gifts from Republican donor Harlan Crowe to uh, Justice Associate Justice Thomas?
3: Well, the justices are barred from accepting gifts from anybody with business before the court. Uh, Crow has been Thomas's friend for about 30 years, but he he hasn't, to my knowledge, had any business before the court. And he said that he's never discussed a pending case with uh, Thomas. Um, Until this past uh, March of this year, justices had to report gifts above $390, except what was called personal hospitality gifts. Now, there are new rules that they've just adopted, they're now in place, that impose more rigorous reporting requirements on these personal hospitality gifts. And Thomas says he's now disclosing these gifts in compliance with the new rules. But, you know, he wasn't the only justice who received large gifts. I mean, Stephen Breyer reported 225 subsidized trips from 2004 to 2018, including. Europe and Japan and India and Hawaii, and and Ruth Bader Ginsburg reported a private tour of Israel that was paid for by an Israeli uh, billionaire, Morris Kahn, who has had business before the court. And there hasn't been any outcry in either (coughs) of those cases. So, you know, this is targeted at Justice Thomas.
1: Well, all things considered, are changes needed in the rules on judicial ethics,
3: yeah, I believe Thomas should have reported the gifts he received from Crow. You know, even if he wasn't legally required to do so until March uh, of this year, and he, and he should certainly recuse himself from any case in which Crow uh, has a business or a personal interest. Although there, there's no evidence of that among you know roughly two thousand cases mm-hmm. that Thomas has uh, has decided uh, during his uh, more than thirty years on the on the court. So your criticism of Thomas, I think, is, is legitimate, even though technically he's complied with the law. But he, it's also clear uh, that some of his critics are ideologically motivated. Sure. So the, the bottom line for me is that to promote transparency and respect for the court and proper judici- judicial behavior, uh, the court needed to craft and adopt an ethics code modeled on the code of judicial conduct that governs all the other federal judges.
1: Uh, so, well, one was just released. Uh, I think it was November the 13th. Could you recap the Supreme Court's new ethics code?
3: Yeah, the court's release was 15 pages including one page introduction, about 9 pages of rules and about 5 pages of commentary. But it, it largely compiled practices that the justices already uh follow. Mm. All nine of the justices signed on. Uh the critics objected as you Predictably, you know, before because there was no designated ethics officer or enforcement process. So here, here's a brief uh, recap. It's okay to appear or speak before a group unless the group is a fundraising has a fundraising event. The group has a substantial financial interest in a case, or this is the tricky when the appearance would reasonably create an appearance of impropriety. Mm. Uh, the other provisions are that the justice can't belong to any organizations that practice invidious discrimination by race, sex, religion, national origin. Uh, the justice should recuse himself if there's a family, a social, political, financial, or other relationship that might influence uh, their judgment. But this recusal ultimately is up to each uh, up to each justice. There's no, again, no enforcement. And the justices have to comply with the gift restrictions under the new rules that were uh, modified in March. And then finally, Chief Justice Roberts directed some court officials to examine and recommend uh, more best practices, drawing on the uh, practices of the other and the federal and state courts. So meanwhile, the Democrats, have, as you probably read, they subpoenaed, uh, Harlan Crow and another middleman, Leonard Leonard Leo, who used to be with the Federalist Society, and the Senate Judiciary Committee uh, off, is authorized to issue these uh, subpoenas, but it would it would require sixty votes uh, to get them to enforce the uh, supreme, subpoenas. If, yeah. as expected, uh, Crow and, and Leo say they're not going to comply.
1: You know, it just seems uh, politically motivated uh, with a uh, uh, rational response. (laughs) I'm not sure that any rational response is going to satisfy these folks, but nevertheless, I appreciate the summary, Bob, so thank you for that. I'd like to talk to you a little bit about federalism. Uh, It's such an important topic. Uh, What exactly is federalism? Is it synonymous with state rights?
3: Uh, No, it's not synonymous. So federalism refers to the division of power between the federal and state government. And to put that in perspective, there's an intriguing case uh, called Bond versus U.S., which I think we've previously discussed, and you may recall the details. Uh, Carol Bond's husband impregnates her best friend. So she's understandably vexed about this. So she spreads toxic chemicals on her friend's car and mailbox, causing minor burns. Of course, that's against the law in every state. Mm-hmm. Uh, ordinarily, Bond would have been charged and tried by Pennsylvania where this occurred. Instead, she's charged under a federal statute that implemented the 1993 Chemical Weapons Convention. <laughs> it, now, it's not that the Obama administration was especially interested in Carol Bond or really believed that she was involved in chemical war- warfare. What mattered to the president was an attempt to expand federal authority, even into state issues, under the federal power to make treaties. That's what it was all about.
1: No kidding. So what federalism principles arose uh, from the Bond case?
3: Well, she challenged her indictment by claiming that her offense was a state crime and had nothing to do with chemical weapons. Uh, The Court of Appeals dismissed her suit. And the logic was interesting. It said, look, you're asserting states' rights, Miss Bond, but you're not a state, and so you have no standing to litigate. The Supreme Court took that case, and in a, an important but overlooked opinion, the court rejected that logic, Ninth zip. And Justice Kennedy wrote that the Tenth Amendment is not just about states' rights. It's about federalism. The purpose of which is to divide power between two sovereign authorities, not just to protect the states, but, and this is Kennedy's quote, to protect the liberty of all persons within a state. So Ms. Bond did have standing to litigate. And in phase two of the case, she won. And again, it was nine to zip.
1: Huh.
3: And Chief Justice Roberts held that the treaty-based statute didn't cover her conduct, which was simple assault. And states prosecute simple assaults. So the takeaway from all of this, federalism is division of power, the purpose of which is to safeguard individual liberty.
1: Such an important discussion uh, and such an important decision on the part of the Supreme Court. Again, Bob Levy, Chairman Emeritus of the Cato Institute. I encourage you to visit the very robust website, dot org. C A T O. Org. Bob, really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Bob. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, Professor Andrew Joppa, that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: 5310. That's 239-269-5310. you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239 239-
0: Hartman Show. And now here's
1: your host, Bob Hartman. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, changing lives through exceptional theater experiences. And you can find out more and get tickets to some great upcoming performances. The website is golfshoreplayhouse.org. We have with us Professor Andrew Jopper, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Andy. So, you usually start our discussions with a a quote or some good news. Uh, What do you have for us today? I've got
2: several good news stories today. I'll try to get through them without spending too much time on them, although some of them are important. First good news story is 2023 is almost over. (laughs) I regard this as one of the worst years in the history of humanity, perhaps only second to 1348, the year of the Black Plague. Uh, I'm optimistic 2024 will be better, although I am not optimistic. Uh, In keeping with that, uh, because I know your audience is very interested in my predictions for 2024, (laughs) I I have many. I'll only share three. Uh Uh, One of them is that Trump will be the Republican nominee. My second is that Joe Biden will not be the Democrat nominee. And the third, unfortunately, will be that Trump will lose in the general election. That is a prediction I don't like to make. I make it on the basis of of voter fraud that I anticipate being enormous in uh, November of 2024. Uh, I think the Democrats will jettison Biden because the GOP, GOP focus will be entirely on Biden. Biden did this, Biden's program, Bidenomics, and that by jettisoning uh, Biden, they'll be able to uh, remove themselves or move themselves away from Biden's policies and then establish what can be seen as a more moderate and somewhat neutral candidate I'm hearing a lot of talk about Michelle Obama. I don't know how uh, serious it is, but uh, uh, the talk is getting more and more serious about Michelle Obama uh, becoming the nominee.
1: Wow, that's that's good news.
2: <laughs> well, it's good news because we're away from 2023. My predictions were certainly not not good news stories. On the other hand, Bob, I think, you know, I think re- reality has to be considered. And I think this is, this is the way I look at the year 2024 going forward. If I make those kind of predictions and if they have a current validity, it at least prov- provides the, um, the, the platform uh, by which those things may be prevented. Yeah. So one of the bases for doing predictions is not that you want them to come true. But that you can fight them as the uh, as the events unfold in the future,
1: well, in that context, I certainly accept what you're saying i i don't uh, I, I think Trump could win by a landslide, but that may be my optimistic and wishful thinking so uh, I,
2: I think you're right. I think Trump should win in a landslide, so I have no uh, this is nothing. My comments had nothing to do with the uh, viability of the trump candidacy, yeah, that had only to do with I know the Democrats, I know what they did in twenty twenty and twenty uh, 18. I know how they've handled these elections in terms of fraud. Yeah. Uh, I think we're seeing that uh, maybe uh, growing a little bit with the uh, greater movement uh, in some in some areas for moving to ranked choice voting, and I think that'll be another area. Where, where fraud will become much easier to introduce into the into the voting tally so you know i'm not pessimistic as I say those things I think it's realistic to understand that this has been the pattern of the Democrats in every general election for the past uh, multiple uh, election cycles Bob
1: so uh, for our voters uh, our listeners benefit could you uh, define or discuss ranked choice voting what it means and, and why it would be damaging? Uh, to the election process?
2: It's a very complicated process, and it's that very complication that makes it uh, very susceptible to, to fraud. Uh, what happens in that? If no, uh, no candidate receives 50% of the votes, uh, every person voting will also have their ranked choice below their first candidate, uh, their first choice, second choice, third choice, and so forth. Uh, after the first round of voting, if the uh, if no candidate is 50%, then the bottom candidate is dropped. And all of the votes cast for that candidate, it, the the second-place vote will be then moved into the other candidates until one candidate gets 50 percent or more votes. It's a very slow process. It's a very uh, uh, complicated process. And again, complication is almost synonymous in this election w- world of ours uh, with, with fraud, Bob.
1: I'll say this. I, I know that the uh... How the I think it was the Senate race in uh, Alaska. They decided to move to no. It was the House of Representatives move to rank choice. And it actually threw the election to, to the Democrat candidate, quite frankly. So uh, there are problems with this. And uh, quite frankly, why, why not just have the you know it, the way it ro- runs right now? Why do we have to have ranked choice even as a consideration?
2: Well, again, I, that sort of supports my point, I think, to a certain extent, which is that there's no reason for it. And uh, as we look at the Democrats and they, they maneuver in this situation, uh, I think anything they do of, of this nature is to make voter fraud, or manipulation, let's call it, uh, much more easily accomplished. So yeah. I think that you're right. That it serves no purpose. It is, it's, a, it's a complicated addition to the already complicated voting process. Uh, so I think uh, you know, it just that it serves no significant value. Uh, and therefore, I can conclude that it's be only being introduced with the consideration of voter fraud. But that may be wrong.
1: Well, thank you, Andy. So uh, I'll kind of interrupt your train of thought with regard to good news. Do you have any other good news for us? Uh,
2: there was a, a good news story. It's it's a good news story by inference, and you'll probably uh, mm-hmm. uh, nail me on this one also. But, <laughs> uh, but essentially, there was a, a massive protest in Dublin, Ireland uh, this uh, this past week. Uh, the protest was over. The, uh, the The more recent event in Dublin, where a uh, a Muslim immigrant to uh, to Ireland. Had stabbed two children and one of the caretakers of these children and uh, this was uh, not the only event it was the, it was the, the moment that precipitated everything else uh, and the, the The protests were about the the massive immigration of Muslims into Ireland, the increased level of crime of rape of violence in general, and I think at this point the good news is the Irish at this point seem to have had enough. Now, the amazing thing with this story, Bob, is uh, after this massive protest in Dublin, The central government of Ireland doubled down on their policies, their very, very uh, open uh, policies to the Muslim immigrants and the the financial support given them. So uh, it's another example where the, the primary central government of a nation has no concern with its citizens at all they, they sh- demonstrate uh, far greater concern uh, for the immigrant populations than they do for their primary citizens. I think that point can be made about the United States at this point. Absolutely. Uh, so I think it's a good news story, in, in my estimation, to see pushback against those type of things, Bob.
1: So interesting, and uh, absolutely. I mean you just think about the fact that right now we have illegal aliens... Uh, immigrants getting on airplanes, free trips to wherever they want to go in the United States. They get off the plane. They end up having a place to sleep and some and food. And uh, this is all at taxpayer expense. Unbelievable.
2: Well, I just saw yesterday some of the videos with some of the uh, illegals coming in through Mexico, being interviewed, and uh, using the word demand. We demand that uh, we be given these things. Uh, so, again, this is not a group of people uh, that are uh, legitimate refugees, they're not ex- escaping torture, they're not escaping uh, problems because of their of their race or their gender. Uh, these are people that are just escaping poverty, which is certainly not a refugee status. But when they come into this country and they're using the word demand, I think we're beginning to understand the world that the United States has created. Yeah. They feel it is appropriate to use the word demand as it pertains to the services that should be given to them, Bob.
1: Andy, we need to take a little break. Can you stick around? I'll be here. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. We have with us Professor Andrew Joppa, author of Josephus Savaz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Always good to be here, Bob. So Andy, have some more good news for us?
2: stories and i'll offer without without comment i just like to get them into the show uh in the first place uh in california they're projecting a 68 billion dollar budget deficit uh that's primarily because there was a 25 percent drop in personal income tax in 2023 that's an amazing number 25 percent drop in personal income tax collected uh so what that's been been attributed to is a dramatic um uh loss of the, the top income earners in California to other states. Yeah. They're abandoning California in droves, I think. Uh, and again, the good news about that is that uh, when policies are detrimental to the well-being of citizens or at any level of the of the society, they will try to abandon. Now, my only problem with this, of course, is uh, are these high income earners taking their absurd leftist political policies with them. I mean, that's the unfortunate uh, subset of that. Uh, but I think, in, in general, I think it's good to recognize that there is a pushback against Democrat policies that, that Newsom has been the, the prime culprit in. Uh, another good news story, and I think it's one that's been mentioned multiple times at, at various points, but President Trump, ex-President Trump, is making significant gains uh, among, among minorities, particularly among, among African Americans. Now, he's not going to win the majority of the vote. But I think if we're moving down to the point where it's projected that he may win as much as 25 percent of the African-American vote, that is an amazing number. Yeah. Uh, so I think that is that is certainly a, a good news story, Bob.
1: I would agree with that. And, uh, you know, speak, people are voting with their feet. Now Back to your California story. Twenty-five percent reduction in income tax is just unbelievably uh, amazing. And, of course, here in, in uh, Florida, we have a thousand people moving here every year day into Florida. So we're beginning to see increased revenue as a result of that. So people vote with their feet.
2: Yeah, I, I also think in our area we're beginning to look a lot like Fort Lauderdale, Bob, but I, I, I don't want to discuss that too much. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's good news. I think that is appropriate to, to, to make that point. Uh, so, you know, moving on from that, let me just move into some quotes which I think have, have hmm. some significance. Uh, the first, and perhaps the only one I really get to, is St. Paul. St. Paul said, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Now, I think if we look at some of the major discussions that are going on in America, and, and really worldwide, we're looking at what I would rega- regard as childish discussions. Childish in a sense that they do not make definitive points about what is definitive uh... they they ignore not ignore they they uh, stay away from these definitive comments for example bob uh, i would suggest there there can never be a lasting peace for israel in the middle east it is impossible there can never be a successful two-state solution uh... in the middle east it is impossible i would also suggest there are very few innocent civilians in gaza I, I, would, I would bring up the point that there were more innocents in Nazi Germany, civilian-wise, and Imperial Jama- Japan than yeah. in Gaza, yet we killed hundreds of thousands in pursuit of military objectives or, or simply to destroy those nations' morale. So I, those are only three of the comments that I would include where we can make definitive points that I think are irrefutable and yet are are seldom, if ever, made. Now, if we get back to the first two, where I was talking about the the potential for peace in the Middle East or a two-state solution, uh, this all goes back to a, a, a concept Uh, inherent in Islamic imperialism, which has been a part of Islam since the 8th century. This is not a new phenomenon. It has been there since the origins of of Islam itself. Now, in the imperialistic model of Islam, and this is the dogmatic uh, model of Islam, uh, any area that has been previously conquered by Islam can never be voluntarily voluntarily surrendered to to infidels. So that pertains now to the, the area that is now Israel. Now, uh, the fact that the Jews have been there for 3,000 years, that doesn't matter. At one point, the Islamic armies had conquered that areas. That makes the, the, uh, the ability to voluntarily uh, negate the, the acquisition, reacquisition of those territories impossible within Islamic dogma. So I think that when we look at the reality of the world, when we look at the reality of the general citizenry in, in Palestinian, with approximately 75% offering their unlimited support to Hamas, and uh, when we look at the, uh, the the genocidal comments not only being made in that area of the world but being spread into Europe and uh, and essentially certainly into America, we're looking at a process that is not just anti-Israeli. Uh, I think that is probably the the, the the word that is used to represent the modern anti-Semitism. So I just don't think there's a uh, a reasonable chance within all we know that there can be a two-state solution or any peace solution in the Middle East uh, within current circumstance. Now, I, I would mention if, uh, if there were uh, a, a lot of Muslims that were the equivalency of Zuri Jasser, yeah, then it might happen, Bob. Yeah. But Zuri Jasser is of the vast minority uh, of the Islamic mindset. Certainly he is not supported by the the vast number of writings in the Quran and the Hadith and the Surah, Uh, And therefore, I think that we're looking at moderate Islam being an untenable position within the Islamic world, Bob.
1: Dr. Zasser, by the way, uh, just a footnote, he's running for Congress, so (laughs) he may actually have a one of 435 votes in Congress. I I really am rooting for him. I think his background and everything that's going on in the world can really benefit from his presence. There's
2: no doubt that this this is a good man, a serious man, uh, and a a man that... uh, can be trusted in terms of the positions he takes, so I'm not in any way negating uh, him as a as a, as right. a contributor.
1: Right, uh, but I am
2: saying <clears throat> that he is the vast is ma- in the uh, slim majority, uh, yeah. slim minority of people in the Islamic world. Bob.
1: well, uh, Netanyahu have played out his demands uh, for uh, peace, and in uh, actually, it was an op-ed, I believe, in the Wall Street Journal. But uh, among them is that that we have to de-radicalize uh, people in Gaza. Uh, we also have to uh, get rid of and, and exterminate uh, the Hamas, and, uh, we, have, and it, it, we can't have a two-state solution. He's basically saying that uh, uh, there has to be some sort of a design of government uh, that is uh, orchestrated by the Israeli government. I
2: mean, that sounds good, and I think it also highlights the impossibility of it. To suggest that the Palestinians or the the Gazans in this particular case can be de-radicalized, I think is, and I'm going to use the word I was using before, I think it's a childish position. uh I don't think it's possible. Uh, there's There's no precedent for it within the history of the Islamic world. Uh, so again, I think it's 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 almost that Netanyahu is suggesting that it's impossible by using that as one of the three criteria, Bob.
1: Yeah, uh, it's kind of amusing to me, though, that the uh, Egypt, the United States, the United Kingdom, and others put together some sort of a peace proposal for Yahoo and Hamas to consider. Uh, among them is uh, having an a appointed uh, group of experts to run— <laughs> sure, Bob. Get get a get a, a committee to run— uh, Guys, it's just unbelievable how, how foolish again, these people are.
2: Let's go back to the general context. I mean, all of these type of discussions are just childish. Yeah. They're just childish. I mean, they're, perhaps they're necessary within the political arena that the world is in right now, and or perhaps there's a necessity to say these things. But there's no, there's no reality to them, Bob, and I think that's, that's what we have to start dealing with. We have to start looking at the reality of, of these events. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, I don't think it's going to happen. I think it's unfortunate. I don't have an answer for it. Neither does Netanyahu or Israel in general. Uh, and with the uh, the hatred being shown to the Jews, and uh, I will classify it as as for the Jews, not the Zionists, not, not Israel, for the Jews, uh, I think we're looking at a situation can, that cannot be de-radicalized. It's been in place in the Islamic world for 1,400 years, Bob.
1: Yeah. Andy, we're going to take a break. Can you stick around? I'll be here, Bob. All right. We're going to have more here on The Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show Here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network
1: You have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella With Nardella Financial Group A private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services LLC Can help
0: Bob Harden show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, helping to prepare elected officials to serve in office with a winning strategy. You can find out more by visiting the website thefga.org. We continue the conversation with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of of Savaz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good to be here, Bob. Thank you, Andy. So, um wonder if you would uh, reflect at all a little bit about uh, Trump being knocked off the ballot in Colorado.
2: Well, again, it's it's an obvious case of election interference in my estimation. I think that's that's a fairly um, uh, obvious point that, that I can make to start with. Uh, normally, I like to deal with issues that aren't getting the appropriate uh, press coverage. I think this is an issue that, that has, although I think it's, it, for the most part, coming from the leftist media, it's wrong. Uh, Trump is was removed in Colorado for apparently his... Uh, his uh, violation of the fourteenth amendment uh... in the first place the fourteenth amendment um uh... post-civil war this uh, dubious that it even applies to the president it, it describes the inability to hold uh, office in the federal government, essentially, uh, as a, a contributor to an act of insurrection. Trump has never been charged with insurrection. Even Jack Smith did not bring up insurrection as, as one of his uh, uh, pr- uh, indictment charges against, against Trump. And yet four leftist Supreme Court judges in, uh, in Colorado felt it appropriate that, uh, that Trump be removed from the ballot in Colorado. Now, if we look at this as a as a, a nationwide trend, there are 13 other legislatures that have com- comparable uh, legislation pending uh, to do exactly the same thing. Uh, if we look at Maine, it looks like Maine is on the verge of, in fact, doing it at this point. So we're looking at a, a process that is uh, election interference, one that is built on no sound, absolutely no sound uh, legal ground, uh, and yet it is going forward. Now, the Supreme Court should take up this case. And and I would like to see, although I'm not optimistic, I'd like to see a 9-0 vote uh, rejecting uh, the uh, the the process in Colorado and and sending out a clear message that this is not acceptable in any state where it takes place. I hope that's the message. Uh, I am I am dubious that that'll happen. I mean, there have been some 9-0 votes that have uh, come about unexpectedly, uh, and I'm uh, I'm. Marginally optimistic that with this one being such a glaring, glaring uh, violation of legality, uh, that the Supreme Court was, should go nine zero on this one, Bob.
1: Uh, in terms of the law, absolutely right, Andy. And you know, he was our Commander in Chief when he was there on the uh, Capitol grounds, and he had a permit in order to conduct the event that that occurred. So uh, he, in a, he's claiming immunity as Commander-in-Chief, and uh, rightfully so.
2: Well, in the 14th Amendment, they do not mention the president specifically. They right. they refer to almost <laughs> every other category or specific office within the 14th Amendment, right. but it does not include the president. So again, it's debatable, perhaps, and I've, I've heard the, uh, the some of the uh, constitutional um, uh, uh, specialists, let's call them, uh, saying that uh, they could not get a firm position on that, but yet it it does not include the president. And it certainly, uh, Trump was never charged with insurrection. I think that's the one that certainly should cause a total rejection by the Supreme Court.
1: Absolutely. Well, thanks for those comments. And before I let you go, I do want to get your thoughts about uh, Governor Hochul in um, New York that wants to move towards and creating a committee for reparations for the uh, descendants of uh, slaves. You know, I, mean, I,
2: I I don't know what to say about this that uh, hasn't been said already. It's it's a concept. That if we go back to California and uh, their their proposed uh, uh, reparations plan would have cost the state ten trillion dollars. This is a state that's broke to start with, but that <laughs> yeah. that never gets in the way of these people. But Hochul has come out and said that because of of past uh, indiscretions to African Americans and uh, using current statistics to measure uh, deficiencies uh, on average within the African American community, this is necessary and and called for uh... now again these are they're talking primarily about cash outlays um, i see no basis for it in any sense but make it less than cash outlays you know, make it something other than that make it college education or something i'm not advocating for anything in terms of of reparations uh... but with, with it being a cash outlay it is a it is a sham uh, as all of these reparations uh, situations are it is impossible to Uh, to negotiate logistically. Uh, And again, it's one of these situations that the Democrats jump on. Hochul uh, comes out in favor of reparations, uh, so she will be seen as the advocate for African Americans. Uh, The GOP will have to push back because of its inherent illegality, and they'll be seen as racist because of it. So these are the type of positions the Democrats typically take where they take it with no, no real optimism of having it actually uh, fulfilled uh, because that, that is a plus for them. And they also know it's a negative for the Republicans because they will have to resist it. And I think that's exactly what's, what's happening in New York State with Hochul.
1: Absolutely, it's just a virtue, another example of virtue signaling, much like uh, being a sanctuary city or a sanctuary state. Now, however, instead of just virtue signaling and benefiting politically, now they're paying the price <laughs> because they're laying out. I guess in the case of New York, a half a trillion, a half a billion dollars for these illegal aliens staying in hotels It's unbelievable.
2: Well, I mean, I, I look at all of this this illegal uh, immigration <coughs> process uh, in the first place. Uh, there's no right to anyone to come to this country. I don't care whether they're, uh, they're the greatest person in the world. There's no right for anyone to enter this country, legally or illegally. Right. Uh, and yet, so I think at this point, if I was thinking as an adult, I think we have to totally shut down the immigration process. Certainly illegal, that's the most obvious one. But I think we have to shut down legal immigration at this point. I think we have to allow a time period, as it's always happened, for assimilation. I think we have to allow these populations to uh, to mature and, and uh, move into the uh, the uh, prevailing American culture and become part of that culture. Uh, that's what we've done historically. Right now, to suggest that this this chaos should persist illegally it has to be, it can't persist even legally. I think at this point we have to take a step back and and look at this thing in a with clearer eyes. At this point, Bob.
1: How about deportation, Andy?
2: Well, deportation I think is is an answer although I I don't think it's one that'll be will be used if we're looking at numbers perhaps as large as 30 to 40 million illegals in this country right now. Um, uh, deportation does not seem to be a possibility, um, and again, even when it took place during the Reagan administration, uh, although there was an agreement that that would end any kind of of amnesty potential, uh, certainly it didn't it didn't stop the process from going forward in the negative sense. So, uh, this is something that uh, no. No civilized country would allow. No civilized country in the world does allow uh, at this point other than the United States of America, Bob.
1: Andy, just genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Again, it's just fantastic discussion. Thank you so much for joining us here on the show, and Happy New Year to you.
2: Happy New Year to you and your family, Bob. Thank
1: you so much, Andy. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. We've got some great guests for tomorrow's show, so I hope you'll tune in. Most of all, we just want to express how grateful I feel that uh, you're listening to the show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. Uh, And uh, I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste.
0: Thanks so much for listening to The Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.